Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we're going to continue our delve into the life of Captain Pike in Star Trek episodes and talk about the menagerie. Part one. Now, the Menagerie is an original series, uh, two-part episode that actually made brilliant use of the cage, which was the pilot for the series. That then, when the series wasn't picked up, they redid the pilot with uh, William Shatner as the new actor because Jeffrey Hunter was no longer available. But found a very, very clever and well-done way of working the footage of the pilot into a couple of episodes of the original series. Is this one of your favorites? Because it's one of mine. Yes, I, and I think I said that before. E- even before we had the Pike series, this was one of my favorites. I, and I think I might have mentioned before that somebody was complaining. They must have just started the original series this year for some reason. Complaining that there was a clip show in the first... <laughs> <laughs> the first season. But you have to understand that nobody saw that yeah. pilot. Nobody saw that pilot until, what, the 80s or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't a clip show. And when I first watched it, I didn't realize there was a pilot because I was a little kid. Right. But it always has been one of my favorites of the yeah, original series. because it's very well done. Yes. And when you go back and realize that it was a pilot, and I thought it was just so incredibly clever way to use that story, despite NBC's poo-pooing it as too intellectual. It's a really brilliant, smart story. Right. So just I'm going to do a really brief um, discussion of how the story sets up, because we've already talked about the cage, and so anybody who wants to kind of get a feel for the cage can go back and listen to that particular podcast. And then I'm just going to talk about it briefly so we can see how we get set up for then having that episode woven into this one. And we start off with the Enterprise arriving at a starbase, having been called there by communication received by Mr. Spock. And everybody's confused because no one knows where this communication came from. And everybody believes in Spock because he's Vulcan and he's Spock. And, you know, so of course he didn't make this up. Right. Why would he? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, But the other piece that that is thrown in is that Captain Pike is there. Fleet Captain Pike. I took note of the, um, the titles this time around. Um, you know, Commodore Mendez and Fleet Captain Pike. Not really entirely sure where they all fall on the hierarchy, but I got the impression that Fleet Captain Pike was a higher rank than Commodore. Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. I think it must be because I believe Commodore is anyone who has, like, control over more than one ship. So it's Captain and then Commodore. Because Fleet Captain suggests that he has control over multiple, multiple ships. Multiple ships. Yeah, so that makes sense. Fleet captain would be, I would, yeah, imagine control over many vessels. Yeah. So anyway, we we find out that fleet captain Pike is there. He's been badly injured by exposure to Delta rays rescuing cadets from an accident, which, of course, we know about from, we've known about this the whole time. We know about it 
we've come full circle now. Right. We, we knew about it from the menagerie, and then we know about it from Discovery, and we know about it from Strange New Worlds, and now we're back to it again here on Menagerie. And, and then we talk about how, you know, Commodore Mendes talks about how loyal Spock was to Captain Pike, and it's really interesting to me that we know right away that Spock is motivated by loyalty, which is a an emotion. Right. I have a lot to say about that, but it's more for the next one. But you, okay. you're right. Yeah, you're right. And then, of course, by this point, we're all realizing as the audience that Spock is actually responsible for this. And I think he even goes in and talks to Captain Pike, who's flashing no over and over again to Spock, telling him no. And we get to see sneaky Spock. <laughs> I wrote down sneaky Spock as he goes in and tries to control the messaging and tries to get everything in place right? because he's doing something for Captain Pike. Right. But I mean, you know, rewatching it sometimes is a little bit hilarious. Like, why didn't he just do the Vulcan neck pinch on the guy instead yeah. of knocking him away four times? The guy's going to come back. Stop. You know, <laughs> but was the Vulcan neck pinch invented by this point in he, the series? No, he used it. Yeah. Anyway, and he communicates to Mr. Hansen on the Enterprise with secret um, messaging. So I'm going to do a little frolic and detour here because I don't know if you know that Mr. Hansen is, was played by an actor named Hagen Beggs. Okay. Who was the uncle of a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Who introduced her to oh and i just blanked on his name scotty okay um when she was living in los angeles so she was always going to scotty for help if she needed anything while she was in la okay <laughs> isn't that awesome that is yeah <laughs> yeah the other thing that i made note of here is when kirk was talking to mccoy about spock about how this happened and spock got the message and it can't be spock i was really actually kind of impressed with mccoy's loyalty to spock only to have that really proven wrong. <laughs> right. That was a little annoyance to me, too, because Kirk is actually saying this has to be Spock. And he's called to the ship by a ruse. Nobody needed him. I mean, he just talked to Kirk about how Kirk thought Spock was behind this. And then he gets yeah. to the ship and all this happens. Everything's confidential. Uh, Kirk's on medical leave. Here's a secret message. He still doesn't believe it. He He doesn't even seem like... It's a thought in his head that Spock is behind this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know that I'd exactly call it loyalty. No, but I think that was part of, you know, McCoy, a scientist, had facts at his disposal. Vulcans don't lie. True. Therefore, that can't be the the solution here. And I think that he was actually a little, you know, tunnel-visioned. Exactly. Because he, as Kirk pointed out, he's half-human. Right. And which I think also then helps explain why, you know, McCoy gets a little hostile with Spock sometimes later in the series. And maybe it's because he doesn't fit into the fact box that McCoy was expecting. Right. You are a Vulcan, therefore you don't lie. Therefore, I can count on your behavior. Therefore, I always know what you're going to do. And instead, you know, you can, you're, you, you're conveniently human over here, but not over here yeah. when this issue arises. So I really liked the dynamic and it's subtle, but it's, I thought it was cool. And well, the other thing I made note of here is that they're not Starfleet yet in this episode, which was interesting because they were trying to kind of dancing around that. And I'm glad they finally settled down and said, okay, we need a structure for, you know, hierarchy and for, you know, where the Enterprise and Captain Kirk, everybody sort of exist. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com 
If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. Attention Warehouse fans. Kim and Vicky continue on with the warehouse theme on the 13th Warehouse with Friday the 13th, the 1988 television series. Follow Mickey, Ryan, and Jack as they hunt for cursed antiques sold by Uncle Lewis to unsuspecting and sometimes suspecting patrons of his antique shop. So stick with us on the 13th Warehouse for Friday the 13th, the series. You can listen to the 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. One question I had was, you know, as you said, you know, Spock calls McCoy to the Enterprise and it's all the secret, secret stuff. And what he's done is he's actually transported Captain Pike to the Enterprise, got McCoy up there so that he can take care of Captain Pike, who has medical needs, and then warped out of orbit right. on their way to Talos Four. So we don't know that yet, that they're going to Talos Four. We just know that they've warped out of orbit. But then Commodore Mendez shows Kirk the secret, secret, top secret, if you open this, you'll die, right. file on Talos Four. Right. And I, at this time around, I was asking myself, why? There was no reason to show Kirk that file. You're right. I was kind of wondering if it, it, it was at this point that Mendez, and this is kind of giving away spoilers, but the show is 50 years old, people, if you haven't seen it. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Because we know later in the second episode that Mendez is actually a projection. A projection. And I was never uh, able to really figure out when the projection started. So yeah. that could be. That could be. That's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Because they don't know they're going heading towards Talos 4, do they? No, I don't think they do. So Mendez is essentially assuming that's where Spock is taking right. Pike. There's no information in the file to give them a reason why Spock would be taking Pike there. Right. If that was the case, his assumption would seem like it was valid. But if there's no information in the file to say why Spock would bring him there, then his assumption isn't valid. So you're right, there is no reason. There's absolutely no reason. And even if, just for the sake of argument, that Mendez's guess is correct, he's violating Starfleet's orders by showing Kirk this file. Right. And there could have been some other way for Mendez to communicate the information about what's going on without showing him that file. I I, I realized, because I, like you, have always wondered when was Mendez no longer Mendez and was the projection from the Telosians. And I think that's the moment. It, it makes sense to me that, because the Telosians want Kirk to understand why Spock is doing this. Right. Because they are actually doing something kind. But we don't know that at the time and the other thing that i think is really interesting is that what i for years for years never understood in watching the menagerie why it was so bad to go to tell us for and it wasn't until we watched it again this time that i kind of drew the connection and maybe i'm just dense that it's because they didn't want to have humans there to add to their menagerie it wasn't about the dangerous projection skills it was about the dangerous projection skills that could turn humans into a slave race Right. I don't think they did a great job of connecting those dots. But again, maybe I'm just being dense. <laughs> I don't think so. So anyways, Kirk and Projection Mendez, but we didn't know that at the time, get into a shuttlecraft and follow the Enterprise. And Spock figures out that they've pushed past their fuel reserve status. If they turn around, they can't back, get back to the, to the Starbase right. because they don't have enough fuel. They're continuing to follow the, follow the Enterprise. And he then has his loyalty to his current captain kick in. Right. And so he orders the Enterprise to stop. 
he offers himself up for arrest. And so then he's going to be court-martialed. And in opening up the court-martial, Mendez gives Spock an opportunity to explain what he's doing. And so then we start seeing images on the view screen in the court-martial room, which are the scenes from the cage. And it's, again, great and fascinating. And I love how, because my spouse said, we're not going to have to watch this whole thing again. And I said, I don't think so. And sure enough, they broke away and asked questions, which I thought was really good. It wasn't just, here, watch this episode again. They broke away. They asked questions. They kind of were confused in the same way that, you know, made it feel very real right. and natural. And they even asked Captain Pike, who's there as an officer, because he's not been, his commission hasn't been changed, um, if it's real. And Pike says yes. And then at the very end of the first episode, we discover, I think I'm remembering this correctly, that the transmissions are coming from Talos 4. Right. And that's when everybody's in trouble now. Yeah, the captain, everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody's going to die because Talos 4 is the only, the last death penalty in the Federation. So, and that's the end of the first half. And I, I loved how we were essentially watching the watchers watching. Yeah. It was kind of a little meta. <laughs> Absolutely. Like yeah. I said, I always like this episode. So, yeah. Um, anything I missed? I don't think so. Well, I think now that we've seen Strange New Worlds and gotten to know Pike more, and actually I thought, I thought it was a little bit more impactful. Yes, and that's how I was trying to watch it. I was trying to watch yeah. it knowing what we know, which is why in the next episode I have more to say. Okay. <laughs> but knowing what <laughs> we right know then. of Strange New Worlds, I, that's how I yeah. was trying to watch this, yeah. Which I think is great, and I'm grateful for Paramount and... CBS and whoever for giving us this additional story backstory for this character yeah to make it that much more impactful it's really good stuff on a scale of one to ten oh I'll, I'll always give this a nine yeah nine yeah. I agree it's yeah. a nine still one of my favorites I don't really enjoy watching the original series all that much anymore but I'll always watch this yeah there are some episodes I like some of them I'll, I, I'll skip because they've not aged well no but even this one you know if you watch it enough times you're like okay they want us to believe these people crashed on a planet 18 years ago but vena shows up with a face full of makeup and hairspray <laughs> you're not supposed to notice that <laughs> she got called to the bridge at midnight <laughs> that is a um for our listeners is a comment that we made off recording about how captain janeway might get called to the bridge for an emergency but you know in the middle of the night she wakes up in her pajamas, but always shows up at the bridge fully dressed with her hair done. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, then we, um, I think, unless there's anything else, I think we can wrap this one up. Yeah, I think we're good with this one. I, I like both parts, but I think part two is definitely more interesting, obviously. Yeah. So we'll see you then. We'll see you then. So come back next time for the final part in our six-part series following Pike's Timeline, the original series episode, The Menagerie, part two. See you then. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.